If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. I didn't think like this when I was 29. <laughs> do you ever think it's it's kind of weird, though, when you when you <laughs> remove from yourself the idea of what you do? Like if mm-hmm. you take your career out of the picture and you try and picture yourself when you say, like, I have value regardless of my mm-hmm. job. Like if I was unemployed, I have value. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of imagine what that's like, it's hard because mm-hmm. that's not what anything no, any of the messaging that we get mm-hmm. in our culture it, it it's not like that mm-hmm. and even our you, family sees us oh as yeah value it's what you talk what about do. it's one of the first questions you ask is you know so what you do what do you do mm-hmm. or who as a woman it's either you know how old are your kids oh, or that. what do you do Mm-hmm. And it's how many kids do you have? Mostly, sure mostly it's how many kids do you have. So you've got that extra, yeah. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it's crazy though because like most people too, it's like we're not conditioned to be still or quiet ever either. It's like there's always got to be noise. There's always got to be mm-hmm. something happening. And if we're not active at all times, then we're wasting time, mm-hmm. or we're oh, being absolutely. lazy. We lazy. always think we're super lazy. I hate that word. I, I've been, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that kind of um <clears throat> that guilt of being lazy mm-hmm. has been like a, a huge like negative driving force mm-hmm. um, and life. when you're and when you're an artist when you're a designer you're right. a graphic designer when you're an artist or a writer or anything like that or anybody right if you're not producing you you're really creative. yeah well but you also that time is required and it's required with business people and administrators and it's oh. required with everybody. It's like if you don't have downtime you don't have where you quiet. don't have something else to do, yes. then you have no idea who you are outside of your work anyways. Oh, absolutely. And like you can't answer that question. It. Yeah. And, and they, they, they still they're starting to address it, but they still don't really address that, you know, different people need different amounts of quiet time and that your work is 100% affected by, mm-hmm. um, you know, being too busy, mm-hmm. even doing the work. Like you you have to have time for reflection mm-hmm. and, and to think about the bigger picture and not otherwise you're not going to grow. If you don't have downtime, you're not going to grow. And this is this is counterproductive of me to say, but I'm going to say also that downtime also has to require time without anything in your ears. I'm I'm really really happy that we're all on a podcast and that you're all <laughs> listening, listening to us. But like, you know, I have I have examples of people in my life who cannot be anywhere or do anything without earbuds in. Right. And it's like it's really like you, you don't, you're not thinking then, you know, it's like there, that's not reflection time. It is downtime. It's mm-hmm. relaxing time and right. it's valuable. I mean, it's important to do things it's that you care what about. You're listening to. If you're listening to yoga meditation, ding, that's yo. true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> or you're watching the You dog. know, I think you can have a second career the doing that. Could whisper. you do that again real quick? I, <laughs> I've been binge watching Caesar Milan and I have dogs no more, but I just feel the need to really watch and, remember how much he taught me so that's my Aww, time. <laughs> that is good 
good Zen time. It is good Zen time. Right. All of you with dogs, just know that Caesar has a, a National Geographic show from 2021. Caesar is still out there for you. It's better human, better dog is what it's called. It's not called the dog whisperer. Mm, see, as it's I told because you all before, that's, you don't train. Change, that's a through train line. the dog. You train the human. Better human, better dog. <laughs> through that's line. Interesting, because you don't have a dog. Exactly. That's what I just said. To <laughs> if it weren't for Caesar, though, I wouldn't have been able to raise those bulldogs. Oh yeah, I had gotten. Yeah, because they, they would have gotten out. They would have killed and eaten you. They Definitely, were they were so big. And yeah, <laughs> from early the knots to about 2010, I watched them all the time. It's wow. everything I know about training. Yeah, I mean, and behavior analysis. Will okay. you train I did my go dog? To school officially to do right. behavior training. Well, we but... are talking to the person who trained her cat to do puzzles. <laughs> this is true. So this is true. <laughs> so, Just saying, that's a Zen moment, though. Just like yes, because it's all about energy and calmness. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and stuff that you can. Yeah, out there of yeah. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Makes sense. You can take it to your workplace, train your boss that way. <laughs> oh my god! If only. You know what? If it's not. Only. It's true though. Use it's, the there are there are some claim themes. Your space, Maybe your energy out there. Something. It's the same as the wonder. That what is it? The Wonder Woman pose that exactly. was that like mm-hmm. yes. It's claim your space, make your energy known. Do your Wonder Woman pose and then walk into that meeting. Or is it the Steve Harrington pose? Steve the Hair Harrington. There's one other thing he teaches that's very useful in the workplace. Now that I think about it, I'm going to tie these together. Okay. Because we all have to do the harassment training. (laughs) No touch, (laughs) no talk, (laughs) no eye contact. (laughs) Just walk in. (laughs) When you go into an aggressive situation, no touch, no talk, no eye contact. It'll calm the whole situation. No shit. That's how you train dogs. I bet you it works with people, though. Yeah. But I think eye contact. No, wait. That is a very aggressive stance. Mm. I kind of mm, just turn around. If, if you're in an aggressive, <laughs> no like, touch, okay. no talk, no. I, I'm just saying, I can see no touch, this no re- talk, no eye contact. <laughs> I mean, like, I gotta go to the bathroom until the behavior until the behavior <laughs> is correct. In. I gotta go to the bathroom. Once appropriate behavior is displayed, you can have eye contact. But if it's um, oh, it's a prize. <laughs> so good. Oh okay. my god. See, I, I tied that together. But. I can I can tell you my secret now is that I always believe that Courtney is somehow secretly manipulating me into behaving the way she wants me to. And I like I really do believe it at the time. I'm like, oh my God, she's using all these secret mystery tricks. I'm, I'm sorry. And I you're can't. turning me into someone. I can't be on all the time. If I do <laughs> I'm changing behavior. It's just naturally. Well, she's as we all change she's one another. Changing <laughs> our behavior through this delicious journey. Oh, Tell yeah, us about. Oh my god, sick. that segue was gorgeous. Mm. Bravo. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, this is <laughs> some favorite Italian drink. Okay, mm. I may have said it before. I don't know if I said it on the show. I think you did. I think yeah. I said it on the show, and I said it on the socials. Um, and it's worth saying again that Aperol spritz. Um, was what we drank all day, every day in Italy. It's it not saved our it's lives. not like um you may think it's a stereotype that Italian that it's everywhere and they may just do it for the tourists, but it's everywhere. Everywhere you go, Aperol Spritz. And now I know why, because it was so fucking hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very light. And it's, it's refreshing. An, yeah, it's an it's Aperol. It's an aperitif. So it's, it's not bitter, super sweet. Yeah. yeah. So it has that bitter uh, flavor, aromatic kind of bitter. So it's um, yeah. If you like grapefruit, yeah. you love. Oh this. yeah. But see, I don't, and I still like love this. But I, it's also grapefruit's growing not, on me. Yeah, but why you don't like grapefruit? Why you don't like grapefruit? <laughs> <laughs> so it's prosecco, which we've talked about as Italian champagne, and so it's sparkling wine, and then um, aperol and dash of club soda and 
I was going to say a lime. Orange. Oh, an orange. <laughs> a citrus fruit. A, yes. yes, an orange will uh, to squeeze in. If you would like to make this in the South, make sure to check with your uh, local liquor store because we had to drive to Leeds to find, or Moody to find yeah. Aperol. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so, pretty common. It's, I don't know why it's not here, but it's a pretty common. Georgia, y'all have it. Y'all got everything, Georgia. Y'all Again, cheaper than us. You got the lottery. Very mm-hmm. light. It's only, it's uh, like 10, 11% alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so we just took a whiskey mm-hmm. shot to make up for it. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of stumbling over my words. Just that dread really Are whiskey. You? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't even sound like you're stumbling. No. It's delicious. Nah, nah, nah. They've nah. grown on me. I really, I've tried these years ago with our friend Barb, um, and she'd been to Italy several times. Oh, this is what you drink everywhere in Italy. Drink this, drink this. And then. I was like, eh, I don't really like those. And now I'm addicted. So, yeah, they taste a lot different when mm-hmm. it's been like, you know, 97 degrees and white granite has been like reflecting back at you for three hours while you walk. No, thank you. Mm-hmm, yeah. But travel, it's going to have to be in the winter. Mm, let's go to Colorado. Ooh. Let's go to New Orleans. Let's go to Ooh. New Orleans. Oh, 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 oh. there will be New Orleans fun coming here, in yeah. the winter. In the winter, in February. Winter. Yeah. All right. So we have I'm a show it. to do, people. Yes. Okay. One thing I do want to bring up because I did write a note and y'all will be so amazed. Okay. Okay. Because we went kayaking for oh yes birthdays. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. while we were kayaking, I had my phone crammed into my bra. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was living on the edge. because on the edge. Yeah, because, you know, it had rained. And so it was like a really fast flow. And it was. And all the water was churned up. And I didn't have the safety thing on my phone that I usually have. <gasps> it was just out free. Oh, my God. But Marla <laughs> said something so fucking funny. I did? While we... <laughs> That I literally put my oar to my side. (laughs) Oh my god! Just slowed down the the terrapin and pulled my phone out to type it in because I was like, "That is the funniest shit I've heard." (laughs) And this is it. So there was how many people were with us? Like fourteen. 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 There was there was a lot of fun. (laughs) And so you know we were bumping into each other. It was a fast flow. And if you ever been kayaking, like on a creek, there was like overhangs oh, and, yeah. and stuff. So it's like you're you're all over the fucking place. It's mm-hmm. like you can't just have like a nice gentle, you know, you're like in the bushes and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And so we're trying to keep, you know, eyes on everybody, eyes on the kids, eyes on each other, make sure like nobody gets into trouble or anything like that. And nobody gets like stuck in a bush or, or anything like that. <laughs> Snakes are in the bushes. Right. And so I think. Marlea was talking about Courtney because she was watching Courtney get like close to the edge and then Courtney did something weird or spazzed out or something like that. Oh, wow. And so <laughs> Marlea says, Oh, shit. What did you say about that? She know. says, The tree just touched her in a surprising way. <laughs> she was like, I was like, What are you doing? And she answered me. She's like, Oh, I just think the tree just touched her in a surprising way. And I laughed so hard. I was like, Okay, hold on. Let me, let me get my kayak back it. in the flow. It may have been you, may have been Renee. <laughs> <laughs> So 
Uh, I don't remember being surprised by a tree or being touched that Well, way. I remember well, I remember Renee screaming. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> Maybe that Maybe was, it was Renee. Renee. <laughs> Maybe. But but you were like already in front of us and and I remember Marleo was like checking stuff out and then she said that and I was like, "Hold on. <laughs> let me like, risk oh my, my phone." Yes. Oh, wow. I think I remember down. seeing you with your well, you may were, were taking pictures, but You did. You took good pictures. I was I like I just any. leave my pictures. I leave my phone in the <laughs> car now i leave my my phone in the the car because i don't want to put it in a i don't even want to put it in a dry bag i was like nope i'm not gonna take photos because you know y'all know especially when i'm in like nature stuff i'm always i'm gonna take pictures of everything and i was like i'm not gonna do it i'm gonna be in the place and the thing doing the thing this is water and also i mean you had kids there too i know so when you've got kids it's you can't keep your eye off of also, you know what would have happened if I had brought my phone? Why can't I bring my phone? Why do you have Wi-Fi? And I was like, I don't fucking have Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers. The creek doesn't have the Wi-Fi. The creek doesn't care. Let me grab this snake and put it on top of your head and then right? see if it acts as an antenna. There was like several segues into the story that I'm going to do today. And the story is hopefully going to be pretty short and just a couple of just little bits. But it caught my interest. But we were, you know, talking about our value as people. And, you know, in 1988, women could only get a business loan if they had a man's signature. Ugh. 1988. It's like how recent. 88? In 88. Like before then, you had to have a male signature in order to get a business loan. Well, you know, we talked about you can't get your tubes tied without a male signature in some places still. So, you know, there's <gasps> that. Go ahead. I'm okay. sorry. Continue. No, no, no. Fuck. Fuck that. Okay. In the 60s, it was when women gained the right to open their own bank account. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with all the that's shit, insane. With all the shit that's going on, it's it's just unfathomable, right? In the nineties, I like when I was in college, a friend of mine was a paralegal, and she was working as a paralegal while she was going to school, and they had a dress code at this law firm, and they the the lawyer who was a man made all the women in the office wear skirts and heels. Mm-hmm. And that was like the only... And probably pantyhose. And, I was and just going to say and hose. And hose, which to me would be like, I would take that heel and shove it so far up his ass. <laughs> oh, just like, that is not me. That That is not me. Mm-mm. And that should not be required of women to have to dress a certain way in order to be employed at a certain place. I, I understand like professional dress code. understand that. But to require skirts, which I'm not a big fan, and heels, which I think are torture devices. Also, um, I, I mean, like, not to make light of it, but like, I'm I'm so much less attractive trying to stumble around in heels than I am like in comfortable <laughs> shoes. Like I was like, I look like a baby deer, like except for like bigger, and <laughs> <laughs> not a deer. <laughs> A little sweary. When this article came out that I was, um, that kind of popped into my head while I was like looking around for a story to talk about. This is from, it's a Washington Post article by Gene Marks. It's, I'm just going to read like the little blurb from the article. Keith is the co-founder of Los Angeles-based startup Witchsea a cool and quirky online store for illustrators, pens, and patches made by artisans and craft makers. Keith's kind of a dude's dude, you know what I mean? The guy who played football in college and is now devoted to his wife of five years and can't wait to be a dad. He's a real good guy. 
Oh, so that's the that's way that what makes you a good guy, right? Okay, cool. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's what gives him value, mm-hmm. right? Except Keith doesn't exist. Mm. He's just a guy made up by two real female co-founders uh. of Witchy. <laughs> oh, yeah, Witchy. That's hard to say. Yeah, what is it? how's it spelled? It's like witch and C, like Etsy, witch C. Okay. That's witch very does not. That's that did not pass the test. Yeah, and it doesn't twice seem about like that. a dude's name. When you said witch C, I was like, oh, it's a witchy. bit of a tell. Witchy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, go ahead. It is a bit of a tell, right? So, um, the two female co-founders, Penelope Gazen and Kate uh, Dwyer, I'm sure, slaughtered those. Uh, these two women created a fake guy to be their co-founder to get people to respond to their calls and emails and to get some respect. So uh, it was very clear. And this is them quoting. Uh, this is a quote from them. It was very clear that no one took us serious and everybody thought of us as just idiots. But when Keith contacted collaborators, they'd be like, OK, bro. Yeah, let's oh brainstorm. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it it totally makes sense to me. So women posing as men, I think they got in trouble for fraud or something, some mm. bullshit like that. And I think like some other people um, who have like fake men in their company have gotten in trouble for fraud hmm. or whatever. But like the whole, if you look at the whole experiment, it's true. People give men instant credibility and respect mm. in business. And so women posing as men in order to be treated fair or to receive the same benefits or the respect, um, be given the automatic respect that men are given, or even keeping things like such as power and land in the family is like no new thing. Mm. So back in Egyptian times, (laughs) Hatshepsut. Good job. Thank you. I'm with it. Uh Uh-huh ruled in Egypt for 20 years after her husband died and her stepson was way too young to be Pharaoh. Uh, But she did so because she made an effort to legitimize herself in the role, um, in addition to like leading the military expeditions and expanding trade. She also dressed in an entirely typical uh, or attire typically worn by male kings. Uh, There are depictions of... uh, Hat tips, I'm not even going to say it anymore, <laughs> of, of the um, pharaoh woman, uh, ranging from like physically feminine form adorned with kind of the um, the pharaoh male accoutrement kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But there's also images of her as <clears throat> physically a male king with a man's chest, including a beard. Oh my god! I, I that confused the shit out of all of these like historians and shit. I'm sure I'm it's sure. like, wait, what? Wait, what? And it could just be like one of those portrait painters back in the time that just sticks their face on like pre-painted <laughs> like bodies and stuff, which just like makes me giggle so much. <laughs> so back in the 1600s, late 1600s, early 1700s, there was Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Red, sorry, Reed, Red, mm-hmm. Red, Reed. Mary mm-hmm. Reed. We're going to call her Mary Reed. How do you spell that? Um, R-E-A-D. Reed. Reed? Reed. Could be Reed That's or That's a red. damn good question. I don't know. <laughs> According to the tense. I know. <laughs> oh. Present or past? <laughs> past, Red. <laughs> and Bonnie grew up. She was already born. She grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. In 1718, she married a, a poor sailor named James Bonnie and left for the Bahamas. 
So okay. Once, yeah, right. Once she was there, she spent her time in saloons and living her life among the pirates, right? Go. She eventually left Bonnie, the poor sailor dude, for Captain Jack Sparrow. No. no. Oh, shit. But, that was so exciting. Blackbeard. But, Blackbeard. Almost. No, check out this name. Captain John Calico Jack. Calico Jack. Jack. Oh, Rackham. 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 Sorry that is about a that. Masculine <laughs> name. Very masculine. So, except for the calico part, they're usually not boys. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, launching they her. They're p- impotent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sorry. I guys. know. I just re listened to them. <laughs> so, it, but interestingly enough, it launched her pirate career. By joining Rackham's crew, and on board, she lived as a woman with the crew most of the time. However, when they were engaged with other ships, she wore the attire of a man, (gasps) including loose tunic, trousers, sword at her hip, and pistols tucked into her stash. Hey, pistols. Uh, Not stash. (laughs) Her junk. Her junk. It's like our flag means death. Right. I was just about to say that. But, you know, it also makes sense because if if they were under attack by other pirates and she was the only woman on the cruise, no, no, fuck no. Yeah, Yeah. you don't want to. Exactly. Again, why on our flag means death? Uh Uh-huh. Jim is dressed like a man. Mary, exactly. Right? So Mary (laughs) Reread was born in England and she had basically had been dressed as a boy, as a child, by her mother, who rented her out as a servant to make men's eat, uh, men's or mm-hmm. to make ends meet. Men's oh. <laughs> Not make men's I was eat. like, that's so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a fancy situation. <laughs> Again, I'm going back yeah. to the last. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. We may have drank a little bit too much. How? Aperol is not very strong. It was that whiskey. It was mm-hmm. the whiskey. Yeah, I had two glasses of wine before I oh, came Oh, I was going to say, you had two glasses of whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Okay, go ahead. So, at the age of 13, Mary, Mary served um, on a British warship carrying bags of gunpowder to the crew. Later, she joined the Army of Flanders and eventually fell in love with her bunkmate to whom she divulged her secret. <gasps> um, sounds like the story you told about the lady in the Civil, Civil War. War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, who was she? That lady. Okay. <laughs> I may be talking about her again. Her name, I remember. She didn't go to sea. Okay. So, um... To Blaylock. Her- Melinda uh, Blaylock. Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Um, so... Her entire um, regiment soon learned that she was a lady. And this is Mary Reread that I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Whose mother passed her off as a boy and and she worked like in the armies and whatever. So she joined the army and then she quit the army afterwards and married a soldier. And uh, right before he died, she, you know, resumed her right after. I'm sorry. Right after he died, (laughs) she resumed her life as a man. Okay. Oh, yeah. And she sailed to the West Indies on a Dutch ship, which happened to be captured by English pirates led by Calico Jack. No shit. So the crew, believing Mary to be a fellow Englishman, encouraged her to join them. And so she did. And while they were there, various theories as how to Anne discovered Mary's secret 
what is known as they became fast friends and confidants, uh-huh. and they fought side by side during battles and even led the crew on violent raids. So and- wait, there was already a lady on there dressed like a man. Yeah. That, yeah so that, that one was, found out that the other one was also dressed as a man. Right. And they were like, yeah. hey, yeah. let's be friends. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. And so... And, let's violently rob all these people. And they violently robbed all those people. 1720, their ship was overpowered by one of the governor's vessels and Calico Jack surrendered. The two women stood... Two women. Two women stood <laughs> trial uh, in Jamaican courts. Oh. And both of them pled not guilty to all charges and... I do not know what happened to him. After oh shit! That. Really? I was like, in what my, year was it? Seventeen twenty. In my imagination, I want to say that they uh, like appeared in court as women, and they were like, "We just we don't, don't know even know what about. you're talking about." But we're ladies. How could anyone mistake us? I have the for pirates, right? <laughs> we they kept us captive on this ship. Oh yes, that would have been amazing. Yes. So they had so many outs. So that's they our should have done that This is our dream reconciliation of this story. This is but what then, happened of course, for if real. one man on the ship stood up and said, "No, they were dressed like a man the whole time," then they probably would have I don't hanged. know. I don't know. People were a little squeamish about hanging women. <laughs> just a yes. little sometimes, not Except always. The witch trials. Except no. for the witches. <laughs> so my next person, lady, Lady person. Lady person. Um, And I didn't even put her full name here, so let me try to piece together. I think it was Loretta Velasquez. 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 Thank you. Very famous person that I didn't write their name down because my notes are incomplete. Sorry about that. (laughs) She disguised herself and fought um, as a male Confederate soldier during the Civil (gasps) War. Yes, yes, yes. She was born in the mid-1800s, very eventful life. Um, She was from Havana, um, Cuba, and um, when they were there, their property had been destroyed by the war um, and handed over to the U.S. (laughs) When she, She didn't live in Cuba, but she lived in Mexico with her family, and their property had been destroyed by the U.S., and her dad, like, really hated the U.S., and said he was not going to live under the U.S. rule. And so they, um, they, you know, they moved around. And part of her upbringing, you know, she was tutored by an English governess. Like, they had money. Um, he, was, he was like a Mexican official or something like that. And so growing up, you know, she had, like, a really good education. She spent a lot of times in New Orleans. And she um, was raised as, you know, in the culture of women, you know, to have the correct attitude, um, you know, expectations of all young women of the time. And her family arranged for her to, like, marry a young Spanish boy. And she was like, fuck that. <laughs> and basically damaged her relationship with her family by eloping, eloping with a U.S. Army officer, John Williams. No shit. So Loretta moved with her husband and ended up joining him when he was posted in various locations. So when the Civil War began in April of 1861, William switched from the U.S. Army to the Confederate Army, unfortunately, sorry. Um, with <laughs> No apologies needed. Right. With uh, an opportunity for adventure and not wanting to be separated from her husband, Loretta suggested joining the Army with him disguised as a man. However, Williams was like, no. Um, that's not the plan. And she's like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it anyway. And so she ended up um, changing her name to Henry T. Buford mm-hmm. um, and spent 
like four days. In four days, she recruited 236 men from Arkansas and led them to her husband, who is stationed in Pensacola, Florida. And so she comes dressed as this man, Henry T. Buford, and her husband was so impressed with like these 236 men that she brought that she he allowed her him to join the <laughs> army. Um, but unfortunately, and I don't know if it was, I don't know if she revealed herself to her husband or if she just kept kind of like on the outskirts of like, I'm, just, I'm Henry mm-hmm. to her husband. But uh, her husband was killed in a training incident mm-hmm. with his men. And so no longer like wishing to basically remain with her recruit. She headed to Virginia, um, saw her first taste of combat. She became disillusioned with camp life, obviously, because I'm sure it was gross. Oh, God, it was horrible of it. Yeah. Mm. Camping now is horrible. I can't imagine the Civil War. <laughs> right. Um, she, you know, terrible. She didn't, uh, you know, agree with the, how they were treating enemy or, or just people in general. And so she ditched the male disguise and headed for Washington, D.C. And um, later she would assume the role of as a confederate spy mm-hmm. and learn secrets from you know there was a drunk history on this was friend. there i think so i Continue. read about her when i was reading about melinda yeah. blaylock yeah absolutely and so um she did spy she, work then she did spy she was a spy mm-hmm. and at one point um you know, she was even hired to hunt for herself, which is kind of hilarious. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Was, was not, not, I mean, that would just be great. So after the war, Loretta um, reestablished uh, contact with her brother and traveled to Europe with him before returning to the U.S. She married twice, more birthed a son and ended up writing a book detailing her adventures and exploits. And people questioned how much of that was true. Like there were questions about Absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. exactly what I was supposed to say next. So she prefaced the book by saying that she's not, you know, doing this for a profit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It wasn't like I'm going to be like overboard and sell this for a profit. She was just trying to raise her child and pay for food mm-hmm. and board, right? And so, you know, the book was published, but the authenticity of the content came under fire because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. Some saying that it was preposterous and this was never happened, but there are, are many who do believe the book because there are so many things in the book that are so accurate for someone who wasn't there, you know, that they couldn't have just made it up off the top of their heads. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was a lot of naysayers, but there were some who have actually lived that life and were there were saying like, yeah, well, she, if she wasn't there, she wouldn't know these details. Mm-hmm. And I totally believe her. I believe her. <laughs> So after the war, we're in reconstruction, you know, kind of deal. And we have towns. And I I was concentrating on Arkansas. And for some reason, all of this kind of centers around Arkansas. You know, cities like Gentry, Arkansas starts to form and appear. And they're around local springs. They're kind of like hot springs we've already Mm -hmm. talked about. And in these like recovery times and times of medicine and pseudo-medicine, that's coming about. Um, a lot of doctors came to Arkansas to be around those springs. Mm-hmm. And one of the doctors was Dr. M. Victor Mayfield. And Dr. Mayfield became known as the cancer doctor um, because, again, it was kind of the thing that you did around the springs at that time. And this is like early 1900s, 1920s. And, you know, he marketed this special medicine, claimed to have like miraculous cures like they uh, did. Mm-hmm. They basically probably just 
like put, you know, spring water in a bottle and sold it. Add add a little opium. Add a little. I mean, yeah. But the doctor had a small build, was always neat and trim, always wore polished shoes, never had to shave. Mm. He was reported to have smoked strong pipes, used strong language, and was agreeable to the cafe girls and the widows. Interesting. The um, When questioned about not needing to shave, the doctor said that he just used an old Indian remedy. Um, just stopped the growth for facial hair and took away the lifelong chore of shaving. However, didn't really care to share that remedy with anybody. Probably could have made a killing just from that <laughs> remedy. But not much was recorded about Dr. Mayfield during his days in Gentry, except that he was accustomed to sitting around, shooting the shit with men folk in town, and seemed to be really well-liked. A discovery was made in Min- Minna, Arkansas, where he reportedly took up residence in 1915 that sent a shockwave <laughs> back to Gentry and around the country. Shockwave. Shockwave. It seemed that Dr. Mayfield practiced there for about 10 years and treated his patients in a rented room on Main Street. He, you know, occasionally was visited there by adopted son from Iowa. But as he got older, he was about 79 at this point, he became very sick. So another town doctor came over. Uh oh. And um, was called to treat Dr. Mayfield. <laughs> and he told Dr. Mayfield the first thing that you need to do is take a bath. And so he proceeded to okay. give Dr. Mayfield a bath where it was found that Dr. Mayfield was not a victor, but a Victoria. <gasps> Lesbians. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I know y'all didn't see that coming. So this news. Um, but of, made it that whole time till 79. I know, that's impressive. That's very impressive. Very impressive. You would so, think that she, he, they would have had a confidant by then that could have. Right. Well, but I mean. They thought, you know what I mean? Somebody yeah. that they kept close, it was like. But all it takes is like one moment where that person isn't around. Well, you know? and, and that confidant, yeah. Right. Well, you said there was an adopted son. Son, yeah. An adopted son. And I don't even know if the adopted son was on, in on <clears throat> Okay. Or, or what? Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, so the news of uh, this discovery spread like wildfire during the day. And not only did the news spread through Minya, it's like it, Mayfield's like practice of medicine, you know, it spread all over because he, he went, he was like in many cities, like he traveled around as like those kinds of cancer doctors did during that time. Um the one thing, though, uh, when they did that, a judge, and I don't know why the fuck a judge was called in, but the judge got a hold of Dr. Mayfield's uh, address book and sent out 25 letters to oh, everybody God. in that book telling them that apparently the practice, like her practice was a masquerade because she was a woman and not a man, but she obviously was still a doctor. They're peddling like snake oil, mm-hmm. basically, for cancer treatments. That's what I was gonna say. Well, did they have a medical license? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. So well, either but, way, either way, it's kind of like mind your own business. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, if you didn't have to have one, the, then then who cares? But if you did, then we're a, getting into different kind of fraud here, yeah. right? And and uh, but that wasn't the fraud. <laughs> that wasn't like the, right. the trust issue. The trust that you know wasn't a man, yeah. it was a woman, right? Um, so the newspapers got in. There's newspaper articles that I post online 
um, got in on it from around the country, became interested in the story. Some sent photographers to get photos. I mean, and, you know, he is sick at this point. Mm. And they, sick and poor, uh, they sent uh, somebody from St. Louis Post-Dispatch to take a picture. And Mayfield's like, you can have a, you can have a picture, but it's going to be $10 because, you know, he needed money to pay for the nurse that was helping him get back to hell. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, letters arrived and they learned that Mayfield had been in Iowa and Missouri before coming to Arkansas and that he had even like married in Missouri in 1913, but the marriage only lasted until Mayfield's wife discovered something about the doctor. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mayfield had lived in Iowa in 1890s, uh, stayed with a wealthy woman, but they were never married. Mayfield was said to have married another woman in Ohio and then disappeared from sight. So it sounds like maybe like he was Bless. he's going around marrying people and if somebody like caught wind or I mean you're gonna figure it out. Yeah. Well. I was just gonna say yeah. like I mean I'm all for like trying to advance yourself because you can't as a woman, but this sounds a little bit like you've got to. I was gonna say because you've like, got to like before say, you marry I'm, somebody, I'm on her side you're gonna need to. She was to... trying to like buck the system. It also sounds like yeah. she was not. You got to let people, people in on the secret, yeah. right? Unless he, well, he, well, the first wife that left him, maybe not so much. I don't know. It'd be interesting to I know. To it's read one it of those more. things that there's probably not a whole lot of information then on. There's you know, not but. because the newspapers were trying to dig up like everything that they could. The only explanation regarding the masquerade as a man was that her parents, who were English, had to raise her as a son to protect their property rights. Huh. Um, her father had been a doctor in England and had left her. The cancer formula. Others theorize that the masquerade as a man in order to practice medicine or that she masquerade as a man in order to practice medicine. Whether Mayfield's explanation is true. So this is the explanation she gave them or he gave them. He offered no other reason and simply said that he didn't recall when um, confronted with information. You know, if, if I mean, it was 80 at this point. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. No sure. So probably was just trying to live their life yeah it's like let it go people right so um when he got better he left oh, uh Minna good and then went to nebraska wrote letters to all of his friends in Minna, thanked them for their kindness after a few months he returned back to arkansas first to hot springs and then back to Minna, where he was poor didn't it's have any ballsy. money um but got helped from for a time from friends and then became a ward of the county and lived on a county farm at rest until he died at the age of 82. Hmm. It was said in a 1983 article in the Men of Stars by Harold Coogan that his last wish was carried out where he was dressed in men's clothing and had a woman preacher, Miss Fanny hmm. Vice, conduct the <laughs> funeral service. That's really weird. And buried at the Gain Cemetery, not far from the county farm where he spent the last years of his life. I don't think there were a lot of women preachers then. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems like that Hot Springs area in Arkansas was pretty... What year did he die? Progressive. Um, and, uh, it was 82... When the article was written. The the article was written in 1986, so it was probably like 1930, 1920s, something around then. Um, Math. I can't do that. Math. I didn't remember what year there was. Um, 
said that the the burial records state that Dr. M. V. Mayfield was went disguised as a man, but got uh, by with it for 40 years, born in England, was a good doctor, died at the county farm. His grave is unmarked. It's kind of sad that the was a good doctor comes in third, you know, like. Right. But it yeah. sounds like maybe, I don't know, maybe they were a good doctor. I don't know. They could have been. It had been, and, and everybody has really wanted to know, and I'm probably, there was close friends that knew the story, that, but just didn't get, like, put out or if there are that many close friends that are still supporting them when they move back to that town after mm-hmm. moving away, mm-hmm. then like they're they not knew. they're not like a heel, you know, right. like. <clears throat> right. Exactly. And so I don't know. I was just always I'm always fascinated by just the bravery of women for choosing to live a life as a man in 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 that time. Whether like it's out of necessity or whether, you know, it's trying to make a living, try to stay safe or just trying to live their own truth. It's just really fascinating to me how they get away with it and then how like how how they can function. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that just like adds an extra layer of stress. And we're talking oh, my about God. All the time. You would think time. it'd be so stressful. Right. Yeah, especially like being like among pirates. You oh, know? No. And being among like, You know, they're soldiers. constantly comparing yeah. dicks, you know, yeah. like yeah. all the time. And all the yeah, all the language and all the, the masturbation going on. <laughs> Just like all the stuff that dudes do. Literal pissing contest. Literal, Literal. pissing contest. I know, for real. <laughs> like everybody else will just go piss behind a tree. What are you supposed to do? There's no go girl for you. Right. Like, yes. You have a twig. Yeah. And so and to get away Special with, twig. with this. <laughs> For so long. <laughs> <Special> <laughs> <twig>. <laughs> but anyway, so that's those are my stories about um women in trousers. Well done, <laughs> women in trousers. I didn't I stole that title, y'all. Well, we're gonna use clever. it anyway. Fuck that. <laughs> Maybe they just said they had to go number two every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really like a delicate stomach. I'm really hard considering how they paint outside because you know, I mean, I have to go pee or, again right now. <laughs> right? Or when? Or when they got their period? Even? Holy oh my god! Shit! Like, like how? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. What do you gonna do about that? That? I mean, okay, I can understand it. Maybe a little bit easier to pass. Like if you're trying to, like if you're among soldiers and mm-hmm. stuff, you're like, oh yeah, I got stabbed in the leg. <laughs> I got, got stabbed, stabbed in the, in the leg again. <laughs> got I got stabbed in the leg again. Yeah, every month. <laughs> Man, I didn't think about that. Oh shit! But yeah, I, I, I was, I was griping earlier about mm-hmm. just you know life and its stressors and mm-hmm. and just having to balance so much and and complaining about how how I feel like I'm always in survival mode, and this really. Like, if you think about, like, our ancestors and everything that they had to go through, they didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> or indoor plumbing. They, or indoor plumbing. <laughs> or go-girls. Or go-girls yeah. are, are off or any... I know, I'm any, on the deep on my hands right now, actually. Any, right. Any <laughs> of, of the modern luxuries <laughs> that we don't even think about because they're invisible to us and our brains are so wrapped up on our own little petty anxieties and they insecurities. They don't really mean anything for life or death, like, really, at yeah. all. But they did. That's right. what I'm trying to tell myself. Yeah, like, yeah. This e- is exactly. Not, what's the worst thing that can happen? Right. They're not going to put is. you in the guillotine for this. No shit. <laughs> if you fail, you're it, not going exactly. to the 
I was like, somebody Gallows. might laugh at you, but you know what? That somebody is also a douchebag. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, taking a break. Taking a break. Pee! Fight for the bathroom! Fight! <laughs> Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. had it in my brain was because when we pulled it we went to vogel state park and when i pulled up yeah there's black bears they had like be bear aware signs every fucking where and i was like i don't want to be bear aware <laughs> like, i want you to stay away <laughs> they've oh. been getting in people's cars they can open doors now. i know they're very like yeah well you know I'll, ultimately this is one of those like self us like i blame i blame us yeah, humanity exactly. has encroached Stop going in the woods and <laughs> In our fucking home. <laughs> they don't want you there. <laughs> but I'm trying to be so, like, I don't know, nature sensitive. Mm-hmm. I, I well, slept by a creek the on pine, the ground. I suffered. Days. People died of bear attacks and right. snake bites. Well, and, and, and like dysentery. And dysentery. Types of shit. Typhoid and <laughs> tuberculosis. Yeah, and consumption. Wait, what was it? The Oregon Trail taught us. Yes. Right. You bear have attack. died of dysentery. <laughs> you have died of dysentery. <laughs> don't want either one of those things to happen to me. All right. This story is not about dysentery. Oh, good. All right. This story. <laughs> I found this story because there is a Instagram uh, that I follow, and I I think it's called Alabama Vintage. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks ago, into, yeah. yeah, it's and it may be mm-hmm. part of the Birmingham news. I'm not sure, but a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, they posted this picture of this woman holding this other woman in a headlock, and um, they said that this was a picture of Gladys Killam Gillum. Kill him, kill him. And I was like, okay, who's this? So now the we're all going to find out together. Mm-hmm. Is it K-I-L-L apostrophe E-M? Yes, okay. kill him, kill him. Got it. All right. So, um, and I'll I'll give thanks to all these people that I took information from, but my brain's not quite there. So I know I got some info from Slam Wrestling and I got some info from uh, this other article from the independent i think <laughs> like the brits seem to have things. a lot to say about like the guardian had an article on her and the independent had an article on her and there's a there's a documentary called lipstick and dynamite and Ooh. um i'll post to that too because i had to rent that twice because i really really dried my feet with finishing this um so gladys gillum was born in 1920 in birmingham alabama and she was in the Lakeview area if you're familiar mm-hmm. with birmingham about all but i don't know what that was like in the 20s because i didn't look that far um but you know she was a tomboy all her life she grew up she would go fishing with her dad she would hang out with her dad's friends like and she got she also got expelled all these all these stories had the same little like tidbits in them she got expelled from blessed sacrament catholic school as a child because she put fish in the holy water like (gasps) i was gonna say bin but i think it's like a vessel i don't i think it's a vessel in catholicism Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then later she got expelled from high school because she distributed homemade wine to all of her classmates. Yeah. Oh, like you, Gladys. Um, she was she was an athlete. She was a baller. She um, <laughs> she was a softball player. She actually was on a state championship softball team. And then when she was 19 or 18, her father died. And so um, her mother was an invalid of some sort. And I'm not really sure why. But she had to stay at home and take care of her mom. So she was a nurse to her mom. She always said, like, her mom couldn't even walk. So she would go from room to room carrying her mom around the house to take care of her. And she would have to carry her at the bathroom. She'd have to clean Mm -hmm. her up. She'd have to do all this. Um, She learned how to cook and all this kind of stuff because she was the only person in her house who could take care of anybody. And she got good at it. She won 27 Alabama State Fair ribbons for, like, sweets, for, like, cookies, cakes, that kind of stuff. Um, and preserves, but, um, so, you know, she's, but she's 19 right? and she's doing all this homemaking and caring for, you know, basically being a nurse and she just, you know, Birmingham wasn't doing it for her. I don't know if her mother passed away or if she was able to, you know, give care of her mother to someone else, but she got to the point where she was just like, I kind of hate it here. Mm -hmm. Like Birmingham sucks and I don't want to be here anymore. And so she's like, there's gotta be more stuff going on in the world. So She um she's wandering around. She goes to this wrestling show in Fairfield, Alabama in 1942. And there's a woman who wrestles at this show and her name is Mildred Burke. And she watches this show and she's just like this. I would, you know, it's. I feel like it's like when people go to like, like art exhibits, like amateur art exhibits and they're like, oh my God, I could fucking do that. Like, right. <laughs> like I could do that. Paint that. And so like she goes in and she's like, you know, no, like, legit like i could do this and so she goes up to the promoter at the wrestling show and his name is um billy wolf and he happens to be the husband of the woman who's wrestling and she's like i would like to do this please and um there was nobody else on their ticket who was a female like um i guess the last person who was working for them had left and so you know the guy looks at her billy wolf looks at her and he's like you are too fat I can't, Mm. I can't work with you. Mm. And she's like, I'm sorry, you can put me at the top of your card now because I'm going to wrestle for you. And her kind of moxie, I guess, kind of gets him. And he's like, okay, fine. So he puts her in contact with, um, with a trainer and, uh, she goes to Tennessee and trains and he takes her into his stable as a wrestler. So, um, and her, her trainer was Wilma Gordon. That was her name. So like in the thirties and forties, like pro wrestling when you know we say pro wrestling it means something different than wrestling right right like it it's its own thing mm-hmm. so pro wrestling was a carnival act in the 30s and 40s not it, surprising it was um and that goes and i didn't realize this but it goes all the way back to the 1860s like pro wrestling started to be kind of a traveling show sort of thing and but wrestling is like a long time almost revered in some spaces sport with with rules and you know different I don't know, regulations and stuff. Greek time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a real sport, but pro wrestling came out in like the 1860s in the U S when carnivals, it's a show, it's it's entertainment. Yeah. It's a carnival. So carnivals started like staging wrestling, quote unquote, wrestling shows in the 1860s and seventies where they would like gradually add more things to make it like spicier for the people who are going to be in the audience. So they would put in, I know. So they would put in like these weird ass costumes and they would make up and bears and they would make up these like backstories that Mm -hmm. were just like completely bizarre. Was it glow? Yeah. Watch. Exactly. 
exactly. OG glow. It's OG glow. Oh it really gosh. is. And the funny All thing is, show. now yeah, if you great. watched glow then good for you. And mm-hmm. you'll recognize the weird thing is like, uh, this is all happens like 40 years before glow, mm-hmm. but you'll hear echoes of that even in glow. Like there's, there has unfortunately not a lot of change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did you watch glow in the eighties and you watched the show glow? Mm-hmm. The TV show? I didn't, I didn't came out? like, you mean like the actual like ladies of wrestling in the eighties? I think I watched the documentary on it, but, but you, but you watched the new glow. I like, watched the new okay. glow, the glow yeah. show. And if you haven't watched glow, the show, you really, really should watch Glow. it. Mm-hmm. The original, yeah, like the ladies I mean, of wrestling. A lot about it, but I remember, <clears throat> it. like when I saw the show Glow, I knew mm-hmm. exactly what it was. Yeah, gonna be no. about. I mean, well, and that's like there's a lot more politics and history to all that stuff that I'm really gonna get into. But definitely watch Glow if you haven't watched Glow. <laughs> so, um, so in like so like I was saying like in the 1860s and 70s there's it's a carnival act it's an entertainment and so it's like there's a recognition that we're not doing like wrestling wrestling we're doing a show and um so it's just another circus act so by the 1930s like quote unquote pro wrestling was no longer considered a legit sport at all it was very understood that this was a different thing and that even was men's wrestling women's wrestling was relegated to its own like separate carnival act where like women would wrestle each other or they would wrestle midgets it was like that same sort of circuit like they couldn't wrestle men right um but um, because actually women's wrestling was banned even in New York State until like 1972. Oh, wow. Like it was and there were a lot of states where women weren't allowed to because it wasn't like it's not ladylike, like women weren't allowed to wrestle oh. on and off like some. It, it, and it seems like there was Lipstick and Dynamite, the documentary that I was talking mm-hmm. about, um, which is available on Vimeo. Like they talked about there was a period where it was OK. And then several states like banned women's wrestling and then it became okay again but some states just never did like i said new york until 1972 okay as as there was jello and mud and i know right <laughs> so and a lot of a lot of like City. a lot right. of that exhibitionist like kind of nature of pro wrestling <laughs> goes pretty well along with like women staying mm-hmm. diva ish like mm-hmm. staying fancy right mm-hmm. so anyways in in this pro wrestling like they would make up these hook moves that were like what they call signature moves a lot of the time in like the WWE, like the crazy oh, yeah. things like you lift somebody over your head, like a scissor lift or, um, you know, body slamming off the ropes, like that kind of shit. They would never allow that kind of thing in actual wrestling. And it's not just because it's like Stone crazy. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, it's because it's super fucking dangerous. Like if yeah. anybody ever tried to do it's that, not- they would be like banned from wrestling, but this isn't real wrestling. So, like, again, a lot of what you see in Glow. they're still jumping off ropes on top of each other. (laughs) So, you know, if you, like I said, if you've seen Glow, like, some of this is going to sound familiar. It's fake, but it's real. (laughs) And legit. Exactly. The outcomes are predetermined. It's entertainment, but it's still very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And you still have to be an athlete Mm -hmm. in order to compete at it. So, like, there are women in these circuits in, like, the 30s and 40s who would fall six feet onto their back in in a match there are women who like the drop kicks that they did yeah. in these shows were absolutely real um they people had their ribs stomped on and broken like cracked to their ears like while they were on on the Just mat me standing by myself trying to kick, kick no shit my back <laughs> i know there was a woman who my own rib i know right well and i licked in lipstick and dynamite they interviewed a lot of these women who used to be part of the circuit and one of them talked about being paralyzed from the waist down for two oh, years shit. because of an injury that she got 
on the mat. So it was like bruised or it, swollen. It was, she, I mean, really dangerous. Again, um, yes, she did yeah. eventually. Um, Lillian Ellison was one of the um, one of the wrestlers they talked about. She talked about like she would take a uh, a spoon handle and hide it between her tits when she went. Uh, I know you hate that word between uh, her breasts when she no, went in. This part is <laughs> perfectly acceptable in wrestling. Right. Say tits. And she would <laughs> and basically to shiv people with when she was in the oh, ring. An upside down spoon. Or and like the, it was the, like the hand. It was, was like the broken off handle of a spoon that she would hide oh, between her breasts, and she would like she would like the shiv. Yeah, she would tag people with it. So um, wait, if she already knew who was supposed to win, that was just I, it's dirty. just devious, right? But you know, we got a couple other things to say. This story is not about Lillian oh, Ellison, sorry. but she's there's a lot about Lillian okay. Ellison. So um, so anyway, Gladys Gillum, who you know, kind of got in on this you know she said i am going to be a wrestler she got picked up by billy wolf and she gets into this world she becomes a female wrestler um she said at one point like i had somebody hit me in the head and knock my eye clean out of its socket and she did she had her eye hanging out of her fucking head she um and she thinks (laughs) that she thinks that that's why her mind started going at some point is like the beginning and i'm like well you got fucking hit in the head all the time of course that's why your mind's not right but um you know, they were interviewing these other women in this documentary and they were saying things like you'd hit her and she'd go up in the air and she'd come down right on the back of her head. Nobody ever taught her how to fall right. Like there are ways that you fall in pro wrestling to stop yourself from injuring your head. And they said they... Everybody said she had like, what did they say? that She had a cauliflower skull that like the back of her head was so covered in bumps and bruises and bangs that like it felt like a cauliflower on the back of her head. Um, but you know, they all like said it with reverence. They were like, nobody, nobody could take the hits that Gladys could take. And at one point, and she gave him back. She got fined one time for biting Mildred Burke on the thigh so hard that Mildred had to break her nose to get her to let go. Like they did not fuck around in 1940s wrestling. You know, there were stories about like wrestlers and this didn't involve her, but there was a story about a woman um, who was supposed to be trying to get into the wrestling circuit. She was only 18 years old and she'd gone into a tag team match. And one of the women who was wrestling her was like, you know, you've been saying you've had these headaches. You really need to talk to your manager, Billy, about getting these looked at, you know, going to a doctor. And she never talked to him or he didn't do anything. So she went into this tag team match and she got body slammed. And then she just kind of fell down outside the ring. She fucking died during the match. And they they didn't have women's prisons in the area where they were touring at the time. And so these women were all locked. These other three wrestlers were all locked into a hotel room because they were under suspicion for manslaughter until, you know, they could be cleared of it. So that kind of shit happened in women's wrestling. Um, And I'm sure it happened in men's wrestling, too. Yeah. It's definitely happened in modern day mm-hmm. wrestling that people have. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So there's so there's a book called Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, and they talked a little bit about like Gladys Gillum and um, she and Mildred Burke. Mildred Burke was the the wrestler that Gladys saw in Alabama on that that first night where she was like, "I want to be a wrestler," and it was her. It was Mildred's husband, Billy Wolf, that hired Gladys, and he ended up pairing Mildred and and Gillum and Gladys Gillum for like 10 years in the wrestling ring because, excuse me, Mildred became the wrestling champion in 1937. She was famous to the extent, to the extent that a women wrestler would be famous. She was featured in life magazine. It said that she earned like $50,000 at the height of her, her fame. Mm-hmm. But in wrestling then just like there is now, uh, Gladys said like there's an angel and there's a heel. 
and Mildred was the angel and Gladys mm-hmm. was the heel. Yeah. And the angel can't be the angel without a villain. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Gladys Glow. played mm-hmm. exactly just like Glow. So you've got to have like your Russian like counter villain, mm-hmm. right? To fight up <laughs> to fight Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell. So um so Gladys was the bad guy and she really knew how to play the bad guy. And she got her she got her the shit kicked out of her, but she gave as good as she got. And, you know, a lot of these women, just like in Glow, a lot of these women were gorgeous. You know, Mm -hmm. they wanted to kind of turn this into it's the 40s and 50s. So this stuff is starting to get put on television. And so they want to turn these girls into pinup girls. Yeah. Gladys is not a pinup girl. She's she's plain. You know, I mean, she's extremely athletic. She's great at what she does, but she's not beautiful. But she has this energy that people dig. And so these audience was to come and they wouldn't necessarily cheer for her, but they're only cheering for Mildred because of her. And um. She always said, like, she's, I'm not tough, but I don't take any shit off of anybody else. So, um, uh, she was tough. Yeah, that's yeah. what I said. I was like, you were absolutely fucking tough. Right. Um, so, so again, Mildred Burke and Billy Wolf, the promoter, were married, and Billy was an asshole. He would beat her. He, um, he actually started like he ran a school for women to teach them how to wrestle, but really all he wanted to do was find a place where he could, like, have sex with a bunch of women to get them bookings. And so he created this school where he would basically like say, Oh yeah, you know, if you'll fuck me, then I'll get you Hmm. famous, which is yeah. Kind of familiar. And, um, he wasn't fair. Uh, he would take 50% of their earnings and then add expenses onto that. So the girls would make like $260 per match and they would leave with two dollars in their pockets. Oh my God. So, and, um, you know, he knew how to keep them working for him. They would get room and board and travel and everything, sort of, but he would take all that out of their pay. So it's like they had something to do and somewhere to be, but he'd never really $2. let them get That's out from like under 20%. him. Yeah, I mean, it was really bad. Like, Is he, that right? When yeah, he takes a, but yeah. think about it, he takes a 50% cut and then he takes hotel, food, and travel out of it, mm. out of what's left. So they don't have a lot left. And he's just one man. They could have took true. him. Oh, I know, right? They could have, like, yeah. Well, and but they they did in their own ways. Like Gladys was one of his mistresses. Like Gladys says in the documentary Lipstick and Dynamite, she's like, I fucked him. Like Ah. he couldn't keep a heart on. But Ah. she's like, I couldn't get a booking if I didn't. So that's that's, you know, you do what you do. People take advantage of you is basically what she says. And at the time she's saying this shit in this documentary, she's 83 fucking years old, sitting in her kitchen saying this shit. It's really funny. But um, so uh, because she was the heel. And because Mildred was married to the promoter, she could never hurt Mildred. Like, you know, she did her bit sometimes, but like if she lost, you know, if Mildred lost, then Gladys would lose her job. Right. So, you know, this eh, it wasn't it wasn't the great way. But finally, this promoter kind of pushed her too far. There was this um this 15 year old girl that he's fuck. He's 45 years old at this point. Gross. And he's fucking a 15 year old. Her name is um Oh, shit. It was Nell something. I didn't write it down. But um, she was supposed to be like the beginning of the total 100% pinup wrestling world. And she was she was also from Birmingham and she was kind of a sweet kid. And at one point she said like she went to California and Gladys did help train her. But Billy asked Gladys to start throwing matches to this kid, this 15 year old. And she was like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, I'm not going to throw I'm not going to be the heel for a 15 year old just because you want to fuck her. Right. And she quit. 
So um, she's been in this wrestling world for like 10 years mm-hmm. and she um, she decided, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to look for a different line of work. So she goes back to Birmingham. She starts, you know, she's good with horses. So she starts riding horses at this horse track in Birmingham. Um, but she's not she's not fast enough and she's not tall enough. And so she's like, okay, well, I'm athletic. What else can I do? And these carnivals and circuses are coming through town. She's like, okay, I'm going to be a trapeze artist. So she learns how to be a trapeze artist. Holy shit. And while she's being a trapeze artist, she meets this guy named Ernest Anger, and he's a lion tamer. And he's like, you know what? If you like these cats, you know, you can intern for me. And I'll teach you how to become a lion tamer. And so she's like, Okay, what the fuck? All right. And she like jumps down from the trapeze and like takes over. She actually volunteers for him. He taught her how to work with big cats. And like part of the like, you know, when you're an intern, you've got to do all the shit work. So she has to go to local farmers and buy horses and kill and skin the horses to feed the lions. Like she really and she got she got attacked and mauled and put in the hospital multiple times while she's learning this trade because you're fucking learning how to deal with lions. But she and and there were other wrestlers who were were interviewed in this documentary, too, who were like, yeah, she got mauled. And she said this was Ida Mae Martinez was another wrestler who really liked this woman. And she said she had a lot of guts. I could say courage, but it takes guts to do something like that. Oh, my God. So um, Gladys Killam Gillum. And that was the that was, of course, the nickname she got while she was in the ring. Not she was Killam. No, not killing, not killing horses. But she got the nickname of Killam Gillam while she was wrestling. So Gladys picked all this up and she quickly becomes like the intern to the owner of this. She takes over the entire business from this guy. So she's a traveling lion tamer. She sells freelances for carnivals, circuses, private parties. Um, and I found all these news articles talking about Gladys Gillum, like, and all the numerous times her fucking lions got loose while she was oh at the circus. God. Like, there was one God. time where, like, one of the lion cubs, cubs, like, attacked a two-year-old. There was a time where, like, what Sheba, this lion that has apparently got got loose, like, a bunch of times, got out of the shoot. You know, a lot of the time they'll take these lions in on these rolling cages and there'll be a shoot that they let them out into the ring and stuff. Well, she got loose from the shoot and she's just wandering around in the corridors outside the arena and this little boy's like this looks like a big dog and he like pets the fucking lion and it attacks him oh my God. but it's like the second that she realizes one of them is loose she takes a fucking spear and jumps up and like runs off after it this woman has no fear wow um but uh, so uh, over various points she wrestled bears she tamed lions she taught tigers how to ride horses that was part of her shtick um in tigers to ride horses really i have a picture if how? that i can show you and i'll put on i'll put on the website but i have a picture of a tiger riding a horse do the horses not with her right next to it. i don't know the fuck out. i know the horses are probably the most like in like the most fascinating creatures in that whole scenario but like um so she worked for bailey brothers circus she worked for garden circus all these different circuses she she got um like fifty uh five thousand dollars a week for her lion show in atlantic city for a while Damn. um and then she met this man while she was doing the circus circuit named john wall and she and they got married when they were touring in toronto um they had three children together and um like the kids just would tour with them in the lion show. Like she would put the kids to sleep on top of the lion cages. Like she was crazy bitch. And, um, and like I said, there were times when she would spend like two weeks in the hospital because of these lions, but she just, it's just what she does. Somebody asked her in the news one time, like, 
aren't you afraid to go in their cages? You know, because they know she's been in the hospital yeah. with these lions. And she said, no more than being afraid to eat a sandwich because it might make me sick. Oh, my God. It's like, Jesus. It. So, um, so she continues to tour with these lions. And then there's like one Central American tour where everything goes awry. She gets malaria. The promoter who'd booked them takes their money and leaves. So they get stuck in Central America. So they're like, oh we're God. done. We're done with lions. We're done with touring. We're done with all this shit. So they move to Florida. They move to Jacksonville, Florida. And Karen or, uh, and Gladys Killam Gillum decides that she's going to start working at Casper's Alligator Farm in Florida, wrestling gators. So she moves from wrestling people to taming lions to wrestling alligators. And How old is she by here? Oh, let's see. This was in the 50s still. So she was still not 40 years old. Okay. And um, so John was a caretaker. Gladys wrestled. The kids remember going into the alligator pens and being set on top of the alligators so tourists could take pictures of them. Oh, my God. God. I know. And Gladys always said that the trick with the alligators was if you turn them over, you tickle their bellies and they like like it. So they don't actually fight you very much. And I have pictures of her wrestling alligators. She trained other people to do it, like all her time there. So um, she had this it's fascinating. Like, I don't have a beef with you. I know, like, right? Uh, what the fuck? I know. I'm not, like, I'm not trying to get you. So her husband, <laughs> John Wall, also had a side gig working as a stagehand in Broadway. And he did all this shit with her. He, res- he, he did the lion taming stuff with her. He did the alligator wrestling mm-hmm. stuff with her. But he's up at Broadway and he's he has a 500 pound box while he's doing stagehand. He's moving sets in and out and a box falls on his head and he dies. So at this point, as you can tell, we stopped our recording because we don't know why uh, we actually didn't choose it. It chose itself. We did something wrong and we lost some of my story. So I apologize for that. I'm going to go ahead and pop in here and finish it off. So I think the last thing that I said before we lost our audio was that John Wall had been working as a Broadway stagehand in New York and a box, a 500 pound box fell on his head in the late 1950s and it killed him. So unfortunately, Gladys Gillum had no husband and um, she was trying to kind of supplement income at this point. And so she decided, okay, well, what I do well is go do these shows. So she went back on the road with the alligator show and the kids. And uh, when she was in Calgary touring with that, her back gave out while she was wrestling an alligator. Not a lot of people can say that. And uh, that was the thing that got her off the road. Um, finally, she, she kind of settled down in Birmingham and started running her mother's old boarding house and did that until 1960. And then in 73, Gillum bought an old rundown 10-room motel in Pensacola, moved over there, and she named it the Birmingham Motel, which is kind of confusing. Um, but, you know, in, in very much her fashion, she had to make it a little bit different. And so there was a lover's welcome sign on the porch, and she offered rooms for two hours for only $10. So she was just like, yep, yeah, you know, you do you. Even though she had settled down, she was still Killam Gillum. And there were incidents when she was running the hotel and her daughter told a story in, um, in one of the things I read. She said, one day I was in the hotel and mom comes running in saying, get the car, get the car. And I asked her why. And she said, just get the car and come with me. 
So, uh, and Gladys never learned to drive in all her years. I mean, she wrestled alligators and tamed lions and like wrestled people and somehow (laughs) never got a driver's license. But her daughter jumps in the car and they go down the road and Gladys says, there she is. And she jumps out of the car, not even clear if it even had stopped yet. And there's this lady who's been walking down the sidewalk carrying this big bag. And it turns out this bag is filled with um, bedspread and the linen from the room she had rented and she had stolen it. And so her daughter says, Gladys's daughter says, the next thing I know, they're going at each other. And I get in the middle to stop them. And they actually like were pulling earrings and shit like they, she had a big hole in her ear for them, like pulling the earring out of her ear and said she never got in the middle again. And because um, Gladys, uh, you know, up until her dying day would basically beat the shit out of you <laughs> if she got upset. So, you know, I think the biggest reason why I wanted to cover her is because, you know, in these films that I talked about, the um, lipstick and dynamite and all those, you know, they do all these interviews with her. And I just I like her. One of the interviews they do, she's out fishing with her son, Johnny Wall. And um, it's Johnny Wall Jr. And um, he's he's hanging out with her. And she just reminds me of my mom's mom. You know, she reminds me of my grandma who lived up in the Adirondacks. And, you know, she's just, she's never dressed up. You know, she's not going to wear makeup. She's not fancy. She wears an old hunting coat. You know, she's this, this is my grandmother. You know, she, she's always had this like green oversized hunting coat on. She's this tiny woman, hard to understand her when she talks. And this Gillum reminded me as an old woman of my grandma. She appeared on You Bet Your Life with Bill Cosby in 1994, like missing two or three of her bottom teeth. I mean, she just just she was just going to be her and she wasn't going to dial it back. I think that's pretty awesome. So anyway, on Lipstick and Dynamite, she's like part of the plot of hers is they're all going to this wrestler's reunion in Mobile. The, The person who does the documentary is driving Gladys down there because she can't drive still. And she looks so much older than all these other women, you know, even even to go to this big reunion, she's not going to put on makeup, she's not going to wear fancy clothes, she doesn't have a fancy house, you know, all these others have this perfectly straight, false white teeth, and some of them have obviously got work done. And here's Gladys on a walker, she's got arthritis, you know, she talks about she never made money with wrestling, she said she made good money in Atlantic City with the Lions, but she spent it. And she says she just enjoys money when she has it, that's just who she is. You know, all these other people did all these different things who were wrestlers with Gladys when she was in her prime. They became detectives or security guards or moms or, you know, wrestling trainers and promoters. And Gladys says, I married Johnny. That's what I did. He was my kind of man. And he just let me do as I damn well please. She said, I know what life is. I slept on the ground with a good man and a bottle of whiskey and somebody who really loved me for what I was. And I was just happy as a bedbug. And I just think she's spectacular. So um, that's pretty much the end of the story. In 2003, uh, Gladys Gillum had emergency bypass surgery, and her health unfortunately deteriorated in years after that, and she developed Alzheimer's um, and died in 2009 in the care of her children who it seems like really respected and loved her very much. So that is the end of the story of Gladys Killam Gillum. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. So I guess since we can't give you our normal goodbye with all of us saying goodbye, I'll say thanks for listening. As always, we love you guys. uh, And stay strange. Talk to you soon. Bye.